Well, good morning and welcome to Press Church. My name is Sean Lee and I'm lead pastor here for everybody that is new with us for the first time. We're so glad you're here. And if you're watching us online, uh, hopefully you're doing well. For those of you who braved the snow, well done. Good job. It's good to see you. Glad you made it. And um, as you just witnessed, even pastors make mistakes, right? So now we know we're on the same company and things like that happen. Um, here at Press, we just... Sometimes we screw up, so, you know, that's life. Uh, if you have your phones with you, there's a QR code on the screen that you can point at and use that to connect with us, whether you want to give, whether you want to sign up for something. This is a great way to connect with us. And every uh, new, if you are new with us, there's a I'm new link uh, or an I'm new little tab there. You can click on that. And every new submission we get, we donate $5 to one of our local partners. So you'll be able to partner with us in doing some good stuff. Um, I want to let you guys know, for those of you who are part of Press during 2022, you should be getting your 2022 giving statements. If you do not get that in the mail, if you did give any money last year and you didn't get a giving statement, make sure to talk to Pastor Jason and let him know. Uh, and with that, we want to thank you for the generosity. Last week, we went through some of the numbers from last year, and we want to thank you all uh, for the ways that you were generous and the ways that you get, gave and were a part of what we were doing here at Press Church um, and so that is amazing. Uh, the other thing, if you noticed, uh, maybe when you come in, if not, you will definitely notice when you go out, we have set up a brand new connections area out in the lobby. It literally says, press connect. It's going to be hard to miss. It's got a big arrow. Uh, we, as we talked about last year, want to do better connecting with you. So if you are new or if you even have questions, uh, this will be a great place to get some information and connect with us. The second layer of this that you all need to be aware of, every week after service, I will be there. Uh, I will be at the Connect Desk every Sunday after church. If you are new or newer, I want to meet you. I want to say hi. I want to welcome you. And I want you as a congregation, if you're here, to encourage others to do the same. So if you know somebody that's new, say, hey, have you gotten a chance to talk to Pastor Sean? He's going to be at the Connect table every Sunday uh, after service. So you guys can be a part of that. It'll be a great, easy way for us to connect. There's going to be some new things coming up to let you know about, but I don't want to overwhelm you with everything going on. So just little nuggets at a time. We good? Nod your head. Yeah? Okay. Lively group this morning. All right. Do we need to like some, do some like jumping jacks or something? All right. Um, Next week's going to be a really important Sunday. I want everybody to make sure that they prioritize coming next week. We're going to be celebrating some new leadership in our Press Kids area, as well as some uh, transitioning things. And so you want to be here next week. There might even be some goodies to snack on uh, before and after service. So just letting you know, you don't want to miss it. All right, the red letters. Uh, if you are familiar in some translations of the, the Bible, in the Gospels, you will see red letters. Those red letters are the words of Jesus. And so this whole series that we're in uh, for the next couple weeks is talking about the words of Jesus, the red letters. And so we're digging into what did Jesus say? What are the words that Jesus said? What does he mean by what he said? And how do we apply that to our lives? What, is, what does his words actually mean in, in our lives? And are they authoritative? Do they mean anything? Are they important? What should we do with that? So we're digging into that. And with that, I'm going to have us uh, take our eyes to the screens and watch this week's Pastor Car Talk video. Is there 
something, some in, funny interaction with culture, or something, like, maybe something that you believed growing up about culture that, as you got older, was, like, totally off. Or... Well, you know what's interesting for me? I, I, being on the outside with sports, because I, <laughs> I, I, I've tried to engage as an adult, you know, especially college football. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working at it. But, and I realized this is a few weeks ago, but I guess there was some big national championship right, right, right. game or something like that. <laughs> And what's interesting for me is that what people put their faith in and what they hold on to uh. and the arguments that they make around that, right? Because <laughs> I guess, you know, OSU was beat, you know, by Georgia, right? right or something. Right. It's, they lost to Georgia. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I watched the game. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But uh, here's here's the thing. Uh, they, they were uh, beat badly by uh, Michigan just a few weeks before that, right? And then, uh, and then, and then Michigan gets beat <laughs> by TCU, yeah. right? And then, and then barely so, gets, yeah, barely. So, yeah. so of course, Georgia and TCU they go up against each other, and, and, and then it's a and it's a blowout, blowout right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's ugly. But what's interesting to me about all of that, right, is the way that if you're a fan, you hold on to how right your team was and how wrong they got yeah. treated or whatever, yeah. and I'm like, you know, it, it's. It, it's it's kind of like um, we kind of do that same thing when it comes yeah. to the scriptures, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we hold on to false concoctions that we have in our head mm-hmm. uh, that we think are the right way. Yeah. Right. And right. there may even be some truth in it, yeah. <laughs> but it's certainly not uh, the yeah, whole yeah. truth. Yeah. Um, and that's just something that's interesting to me. Well, it's I, weird. The, the, the thing is, I grew up a Buckeye fan, and I specifically remember when I was younger, if the Buckeyes would lose, and I had someone who wasn't a Buckeye fan, it was like, it was a personal blow to me. Like, now, oh, you like that team, and they just lost. That means you're a loser. So you're, a, yeah, it, it, <laughs> like the amount of identity that we place in just cultural things, mm-hmm. and I think we do, like, we all do that in some way. There's there's something within culture or the world around us that we are have we have put our identity in mm-hmm. and it's like we are now we have to defend that thing right. because of what it means for me right not because that like oh how because State, that thing like, when you think about it, it's like all right there's these guys playing football you've got 18 to 22 year olds play of d1 yeah schools that have great football yeah. teams sure. that <laughs> it's, like, it's the but, same way with politics, the American oh, way of life. Yeah, and you have, you have to yeah, protect. That can, yeah. can be good things. There can be good in them. But yeah. we get so uh, ideologically wrapped up yeah. into it, and, right. and our identity becomes centered in those yes. things. Yes, And I feel like, you know, when it comes to the things of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus and the, the red letters, his mm-hmm. actual words, and yeah. his behaviors, you know, I, I often think of, like, what would Jesus be doing if oh, he was walking the earth in flesh right now? Yeah. You know, what would be? Well, I mean, he'd be a OSU Buckeye football fan, <laughs> of course. You know, but but he would also like the University of Kentucky, of course, for basketball, right, right, right. which is of course assuming he's definitely an American, right? Oh, of course, <laughs> of course, he's an American. <laughs> and and there's this thing is like, well, what would Jesus's Samaria be? You know, yeah. what what would Jesus's <laughs> what would be the, uh, the 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 woman at the well now? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and how would that rock our world? Who's, We'd be who's like the Pharisees. Who's Jesus the, is yeah. talking to that person, yeah. Yeah. and he's not condemning them. Mm. What what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Something you know? tells me it would involve a bar in the short north. 
just saying. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> if he's in, in Ohio, well, in, Columbus, in our context, <laughs> no, right. I know, right, right, right. I don't know what it would yeah. be like in. I think it's a good. I think it's a good mental exercise. Yeah. To, but again, we also have to be careful too, because in those questions, our our lenses, our paradigms, yeah. our thoughts on things, our context, our context is informing even the way we shape the questions. Exactly. Yeah, I, I feel like you know we sometimes don't look at um, the red letters and what Jesus is saying, and even understand that that he was speaking to a culture mm-hmm. yeah. in a context specifically to them mm-hmm. of course it, it works for us but we have to right. understand that there are some aspects of what he was doing yeah. that was particularly relatable or directed to that culture yeah. vicariously it's directed to us Yes, yeah. but being able to read and understand the red letters requires an understanding of that yeah. Cultural context, right? Well, yeah. because his his framework wasn't built on our frameworks, so he can he can say something that's almost elevated over all <laughs> frameworks right. in the same way yeah. of like this is a yep this is a structure that you've put in place that is flawed, but hey, I have a structure that's higher than that. Yeah. So no matter what system you're in, what context, what year, what country, whatever, it's still hey, this is what my this is what my kingdom, you know, talk about kingdom again. Yeah. Like, this is what my kingdom looks like. This yeah. is what my perfection looks like. This is what my standard looks like. And you can't get to that without me. Right. Um, yeah. So, which means that that culture or the context that you're in right now, mm. there's probably some things you're missing or some things that you're not seeing. How hard would it be to admit that our culture, our context could actually keep us from following Jesus better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. So uh, something that I've always enjoyed myself is I like to travel. Unfortunately, um, I haven't got to do it a whole lot recently, but I, I like to travel. I like going out and seeing other places, other cultures. Um, and if you've, if you've done any traveling, you, you realize and you recognize, recognize just how different uh, other places can be. You don't even have to leave the country. I mean, you can go to another state and, and they just do things differently. They just, they just have a, 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 maybe a different pace of life. They eat differently. They have different values, uh, even, even within the, the U.S. Um, now, outside the U.S., it's, I mean, you're talking about a crazy amount of differences. I remember before Bethany and I had kids, we traveled, uh, we took a trip to Italy. And I'd always want to go to Italy, and I, we were there. And I remember Bethany and I, we, we took this day trip uh, to a city called Bologna. And there's this... They have the, the world's longest portico, if you didn't know that. If you even know what a portico is, look it up. Uh, they have the world's longest portico. So we were like, we're going to walk this whole thing. So we did. Like, we, we walked this whole thing and walked down, and we were exhausted. And we're like, we need something to eat. Well, we look at the clock, and like, all right, it's like 3 o'clock. And so we can get some food, and then we'll hit the train and go home. Well, if you haven't been to Italy, you may not know that they, like, shut down everything in the middle of the day. And so we're, like, looking for food, and all there is is, like, these random fast food places or whatever that you definitely don't want to eat from. And we managed to find this one little restaurant that was nice enough to let us in, and their cook actually made something for us, and it was delicious, and it was great. But it's, like, one of those things that I have a context of what life is like. I have a pace. I have an understanding. And I am now in a new place, and they do things differently. Uh, Same thing. Last day, we were in Rome. 
And we booked reservations uh, for the earliest we could get, 7 p.m. That was the earliest we could get a reservation. And we get in there, and no one's there. Like, the, 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 I mean, the, obviously the workers are there. They're looking at us like we're crazy. They're like, what are you, what are you doing? Like it, and so we get in, we sit down, and of course we're like the silly Americans that are, don't understand the culture. And so we're eating, and we finish dinner, you know, it's 8.30, 9 o'clock, and that's when people actually start coming in for dinner. And, you know, of course, again, it's like, they're looking at us like we're just silly Americans, and you have no idea the you have no idea the culture that you're in. Like, and we just do things differently, and that's the thing. We we all have a, a culture, a context. We all have things that we're used to or we think about. Uh, and depending on where you're at in the world, when you grew up, how old you are, those those can be different. Uh, and and that shapes. I think that shapes the way we think, and we have to recognize that that shapes the way that we think. And I think the really cool thing about Jesus' words as we dig into Scripture and we look at these things is his words find a way to transcend all of it. He has a way that no matter who you are, no matter who he's talking to, in what context, old, young, whatever, he has a way that his words seem to elevate and transcend all of that. He, he finds a way to get above it. Last week, if you were here with us, we talked about how Jesus' words disrupt our paradigms. That through Jesus' words, our paradigms uh, start to, to shift, start to change. And I think one specific way that we see this happen is in, is in our cultural assumptions, or maybe in the way we view culture. And I think one big assumption is this, and this is the one big one I'll be addressing today. This is assumption that what you have determines what you're worth. What you have determines what you're worth. And as much as we like to act like this isn't true, it's extremely difficult to fight against this thought. Extremely difficult. It, it's been ingrained in us since we were kids, right? I, I bet everybody in here, no matter how old you are, can remember an incident on the playground and an incident where you didn't have something that another kid had. And, and not having that was a bad thing. Though that was the cool thing and you didn't have it. You have an experience where there, there was a known thing in that culture that that was what you needed to have to have value, to be cool, to fit in. For me, growing up, it was the, the starter jacket. All right, do you guys remember starter jackets? I'm not a 49ers fan, by the way, so calm down, all you 49ers fans. Yeah, I know, I know, Petrov, you can sit down. <laughs> if you were on the playground and you had a pullover starter jacket, you were cool. You, were, you just had it. And everybody around my age knows what I'm talking about. It was just a thing. Now, I did the 49ers, so in my day, you had Steve Young and Jerry Rice, and so the 49ers were actually still cool. Um, if you're still a 49ers fan, that's fine. No, no hate. My, my NFL team that I root for, I'm not going to mention because they're not good. So, um, <laughs> but we have these things. Like, you probably remember when you were a kid, there was something that, that showed that you were in, that you were cool. And we just remember those. And then as we get older, you know, that, that changes. There's, there's new styles or new fads that come out that, that let you know that you're in. 
Anybody in the late 90s or early 2000s remember uh, frosted tip hair? Anybody? I think we have some pictures. This was cool. This was a thing. And there's some of you are like, yeah, I actually did that. I had the gel. I didn't quite have the frosted tips. But like the spiky gelled hair with the frosted tip, like you pair this with some like low cut Doc Martens and you're, you're like the cool kid. <laughs> sorry for all you who weren't in the 90s. I'm sorry if this is but we all have this. We all have, we all have these styles or these fads or these things that, that we, we place our value in. We, we find our own affirmation by fitting in, by doing these things. And as we get older, those don't go away. We can laugh at that, but at the same time, we've replaced that with something else. We've replaced that with what club you're a part of where your kid goes to school, what town you live in, what car you drive, how big your house is, what degree you have, who your friends are. We've just changed the way it looks. It's no longer a, well, I would say it's no longer a jacket. Sometimes it is a jacket, having the right purse, having the right coat, whatever it is. We've found these things that seemingly give us value. And culture continues to reinforce this, that what you have determines what your value is. If you want to follow along in your Bible today, I want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be going through a story that uh, a lot of you may be familiar with. And this story is actually found in all the Synoptic Gospels. So the Synoptic Gospels, if you're not aware, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, John is also a gospel, but not part of the Synoptic Gospel because the accounts of Jesus' life are, are different. But all that to be said, you can see this story in every single one of the Synoptic Gospels. And the title of this story that we're going to be in is The Rich Young Ruler. Like I said, a lot of you may be familiar with this. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, verse, starting in verse 17. And we're going to read this together. It says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is maybe a story that you've heard before and one that, that you've had your own ideas about. And, and the thing is, 
there's a lot to learn in here, and there's many things that I'm not going to be able to get to, but I want to I highlight a few things. We know a couple things about this man. This is a, this is a probably a well-off man of means. He uh, seems to have kept the laws of Scripture. And he also seems to be under this assumption that there's a deficiency in him gaining eternal life through these actions. He, he seems to be missing something. And this story has always intrigued me because I feel like if I were to put myself in Jesus' shoes here, if, if somebody came to me like this, now I know it's hard to put myself in the shoes of Jesus or sandals of Jesus, um, it's, I wouldn't approach it this way. I'd probably want to give some, like, good reasoning, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, those works are good, but, you know, faith in Jesus and faith in me, if I was Jesus, you know what I mean. But I, I wouldn't talk to him this way. It's like Jesus seemingly is, like, really nonchalant with the guy. Why do you call me good? You know only God is good. Again, it's like he's, he's pressing him to start thinking a little bit. What, why do you call me good? And then he says, well, I, I've, I've done all these things. You know, it's like Jesus is kind of just going with it. Well, you, you know the commands. And what's funny is even the commands, he doesn't say all of them. He just says some of them. So it's not like he's giving this laundry list of like all the things that you have to do. He's just recognizing, oh, hey, yeah, you, you, you know the commands. And this guy, he keeps, it's like he keeps pushing. He keeps pushing. No, well, I've done that. How do I get this? What should I do? And I, I, I want to know where the question's coming from. Where does he get this sense of need? Culturally speaking, he's good. You got this religious guy who keeps the commands. He's well off. He has money. He has means. He has power. He has all the things that you're supposed to have. Like, if he's not good, who, who is? We, we see the disciples express a similar thought in verse 26. Who can be saved? He's in the clear. He's good. And yet something's missing. Something's missing. And he's going to Jesus and he's asking these questions. I think for us, like, how many of us have found us in a similar scenario? Where everything around us seems to be good and yet it's not. You just got the thing that you wanted, but it's not enough. You just reached that next step that you've been trying for, and yet it's not good enough. And you feel something missing. Something's missing. I don't feel whole. I don't feel right. Or you could be the opposite of the ruler, and you could say, I don't have much. I don't have anything. I don't have the power. I don't have resources. And culture has said, similar to that, that that's your worth. The, the rich young ruler, yeah, his worth, yeah, he's, he's, he's good. But if you don't have, yeah, you're not. And culture has continued to, to keep us in that scenario of, if you don't have, you're, you're not blessed, you're not good. If you do have, you're, you're good. You, you obviously have it because you're doing something right. And both of these thoughts are equally wrong. Both of these thoughts aren't fully true. And then Jesus says one of my favorite lines in the story, after they go through the commands and stuff, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't know if you picked up on that. Jesus looked at him 
and loved him. And you get this sense of care. You get this sense of like, Jesus cared about this guy. He, he loved him. And what was the response to love? What, what, was his, what was his, the next thing he said? He said, one thing you lack. He didn't lack discipline. He didn't lack good deeds. He didn't check those off. He, he, was, he did all that. He's good. What he lacked was one thing. He lacked faith in the very thing that could save him. That's what he lacked. Jesus, as we see countless times, knew his heart. He knew what was really going on. He knew where his trust was. He knew where his faith was and all of these things. And so Jesus goes to him and says, sell all that you have. Give to the poor. Follow me. He wasn't saying it tongue-in-cheek. He just, the verse before that says he loved him. He saw him, and he loved him, and he cared for him, and he says, here's what you lack. And he went away sad. His face dropped, and he went away sad because he's getting to the point where he's realizing, I, I need that. I want that. I can't get rid of my stuff. That's who I am. That's my value. And how many of us are in that same seat, whether you have riches or not? How many of us is our value is so tied in with what we have, with what culture has said is what brings us value? And we're holding on to that as our value. This man's wealth had become his means to personal identity, to power, to purpose, to meaning in life. And everybody's thoughts, everybody else, and what they're saying supports that. You're good. You're influential. You're powerful. And yet something was missing. We see Jesus say something similar in Luke chapter 12, verses 33 and 34. He says this, he says, sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not fail, where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is our treasure? His wealth had become his God. And for many of us, we fight that same burden our wealth has become our God. It's become what we put our faith in. It's become what we trust. And I think with good reason. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 28, the first 12 verses are all about divine favor and blessing. And so it's not wholly untrue that God blesses those and God gives favor. We, we have instances in Scripture where we see that. But the church, even us, we've adopted this mindset that if you look this way, if you have, you're good. God must be blessing you. It must, it must be that. And if you don't have, you must be doing something wrong. Have you asked for forgiveness recently? Have you repented? Because if you don't have, then obviously you're doing something wrong. And, and we we have this thought in the church that keeps coming up, and we, we view and we judge each other through this lens. 
that what I have determines my value and signifies maybe how much God loves me. Now, this message, big caveat here, is not a guilting or shaming message for those who have means. I mean, honestly speaking, compared to most of the world, we are all rich. No matter what tax bracket you're in today or what house you're watching from today, we are all rich. It's not a shaming or a guilting of that. It's deeper than that. And it's to do something that I think Jesus was trying to do with the young man. It's to, it's to challenge us to see and to address what we put our faith in. What we put our hope and our trust in. As I said, the young man seemed to know something was missing. And again, I, I, there's so many stories in Scripture, I'd love to just transport myself there and see the whole interaction and see maybe some of the things that the writers didn't write. Or maybe they wrote down everything, and I'm sitting there, I'd be like, I want to ask more questions. What happened to him afterwards? Did he have a stirring in his soul that, that maybe brought him to, to repentance or to actually trust in Jesus? Did later in his life he, I, I don't know. I don't know what came from that interaction. But I can see that Jesus is pointing to something with this man. He's pointing to an inner problem. He's not pointing to an outer problem. Like I said, his disciplines were good. His actions were good. They were following scripture. But he was lacking something. What did it say? He lacked one thing. And he's not saying to all of us, well, you have to sell everything to show me. No, if you look through scripture, there's plenty of people that, that Jesus didn't say that to. That isn't a formula. It's like Jesus is trying to get away from the formula. That's what he was doing. He was doing the formula, and he was doing it better than most of us. But he still lacked because his trust was not in God. His trust was not in the very thing that could give him the thing that he actually wanted and was acknowledging that he was missing. How many of us can acknowledge that we're missing something? And the question is, where do you go to fill that that's what's, what, of what's missing? Are you trying to fill it with more money? Are you trying to fill it with your job? Are you trying to fill it with your friends? What are you filling it? What are you putting your trust in? And I think that's what God is saying. That's what, that's what Jesus is trying to get to with this man. You have an internal problem, and it's your heart. It's in a heart that trusts yourself and your things more than God. And our culture is telling you, yep, that's the way to do it. Jesus makes a challenge, and the challenge is this. Jesus challenged us to find our identity, our future, and our contentment in him. We talk about identity a lot here at Press Church. We're going to continue to talk about identity. When we find our identity in Christ, those other things do not have the weight in our life. You can have riches. You can have nothing. It doesn't matter because your trust and your hope is not in him. Your identity is in Christ and who he says that you are. And that's what the challenge is. God is challenging us here. Find your identity in me. Don't let culture tell you what your value is. Find your future in me. Find your hope. 
find your contentment, find all these things in me. And this goes directly against everything that we've been told. And so I ask us, what does it look like to trust God with this? What is the path for you to start moving in a direction that you find your identity in Christ? You find your future, your hope in him. You find contentment in the here and now, no matter what you're dealing with. How do we find that in Christ? As I said, he's not asking everyone to sell everything. Maybe he is. I'm not going to say that he's not. Maybe that's a burden on your heart. I would, I would say be obedient. There's one thing that I've tried in my life to do, and I screw it up consistently, but the one thing that I really try to do is I try to be obedient to what God is asking me to do. Whether that looks weird, whether it sounds weird, whether there's naysayers, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people who are really confused when I said I was gonna be starting a church. I still think it's weird that I started a church. It's weird, it's weird being a pastor, I'm just gonna be honest. That wasn't in my plans. But for me, this is obedience. And so I ask you, what does obedience look like? What is obedience to you? When you're sitting in your room and praying, what is God asking of you? And how is that forcing you to address where your hope and trust is in? And if it's not in God, then we have an idol. We have a God that is not Jesus Christ. We have a mini G God, and that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. So I'm going to close with this, a verse from last week. It's Matthew 10, 39. It says this, whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Can we trust the words of Jesus in our life? And here's the thing. I'll remind you. Verse 27, Mark 10, verse 27, write it down. With man, it's what? It's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And that's not a, that's not a verse to be taken out of context like, well, I can just ask for that and I'm gonna get it or that, no. It's a recognition that you need God in your life. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. How can, how can we this week move forward trusting more in what God says? And when culture says that your value is in this, how can we trust God that our value is not in that? And even if you had that, that's fine. I'm not here to say you I, I like nice things but that's not where our trust can be. That's not where our hope can be. That's not where our contentment can be. It's only in God. And he's, he's I don't know if you've heard this in scripture, he's a jealous God. He wants your devotion. He wants your heart. He cares about that. And he loved this man so much that he said, one thing you lack, here's what it takes. You want this, you need me. You need my help. What would it look like if we start trusting God in our day-to-day -day lives, if we start looking to him for our identity, start looking to him for our worth, what would that look like? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your words. 
We thank you for your scripture. We thank you for what we can learn. We thank you that you are with us. As your word said, God, with man it is impossible, but with you all things are possible. God, so we put our, our faith and our trust in you, knowing that you are good, that you love us, and you do have the best for us, even when we don't understand that or it might not look the way that we think it should. God, may the words that society says about us, may the words that the culture tries to say and where we get our value, may we put that aside and trust your word. May we trust what you say about us, where we find our hope and our identity. God, may each of us today and throughout this week and moving forward be able to trust you more. May you help us with that. God, we love you and we thank you for this time together. Pray that you be honored this time. You be honored in our heart that we would worship you well in all that we do. And it's your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to stand and join us as we continue in time of worship. <laughs>